didn't go on the stage. How many of you guys have, have uh, hit opposition before? Anybody, like, you're, like, cruising right along, getting something done, and all of a sudden, you, like, get hit by something, opposition. I remember when we um, started the church, um, we ran in a little bit of opposition because, you know, we, we, don't, we, we, we knew that we wanted to start the church. But we didn't really know where we could have church. Um, our launch team was a little, kind of about growing our house, and so um, we were planning a, a launch, but we didn't have a building. And so we looked at a school in a neighboring community, and we thought it would be perfect because a lot of church plants, they start in a school, right? And so it makes sense. It would be perfect. And so we talked to the school administrators about it, and they basically said this. They said, hey, no problem. We'd love to have you here. What it's going to cost you is about six, $7,000, six or $7,000, I can't remember the exact total, um, per month for you guys to be here. Um, and, uh, and no big deal, but we need one year. Um, we need 12 months of that uh, rent up front. So we need about $72,000. And um, also, if you, know, you, you want to have liquids, you can't have any liquids because we don't have any spills. So no baby bottles, no communion. Um, we're like, okay. And then they said, and if um, there's going to be any setup, we need to make sure that all of your crew and anybody that touches anything is going to be OSHA certified and licensed or whatever. So you're going to have to go through ladder training and all that fun stuff. So basically, we kind of felt the opposition in that. And we felt like, you know, we don't have much money at all, let alone $72,000. And um, we're going to have to have babies um, at our church, and we probably will have communion. So we felt that opposition, um, felt that that was not the place to go. Um, obviously, didn't really want us there. And um, we ended up finding the warehouse, and it has all worked out. Um, but it wasn't without a lot of crazy opposition trying to figure that out. The second thing that I remember is, um, now remember, we don't have a lot of money. I think um, we had, you know, just shy of like ten or $11,000 at the time in our bank account, and we needed like, we didn't have anything. So we didn't have chairs, we didn't have like stage, we didn't have lights, we didn't have speakers, we didn't have a soundboard, we didn't have anything. And we're going to like have a church in a few months. We're like, this is not going to be pretty, you know? So we said, we need to figure out how much all that costs. And so we, we figured that out, and um, we, we came to the total of about $90,000. And we're like, man, that's a lot of money. And so we said, all right, well, we have a launch team. This is going to be perfect. What we can do is we'll just, we'll, we'll do a, an offering. And we'll, we'll say, okay, let's see what we can get. And we'll see how close to $90,000 we get. And so we did that for a couple of weeks. And our launch team was young. And our launch team, um, yeah, it was, it was uh, we, we got about $4,000 in. And so we're like, we're only $86,000 away from our goal. And we kind of realized, we felt the opposition in that. We realized that we're not going to get a whole lot for $4,000. We added that to our 10 or 11. We had about $15,000 in the bank. There's no way we could get what we needed. And then we got a phone call. Got a phone call from a gentleman who was at a church that didn't make it, um, sadly. And they had a bunch of equipment. They had staging, the staging I'm standing on now. They had the lights that I'm pointing to right now. They had a lot of the stuff for the kids. They had tables and chairs and all this other stuff. And you add it all up together. They had portable cases and all this other stuff. When you add it all up together, it was about $90,000 worth of stuff. And they said, um, we have a big church that would like to, get, to buy this off of us, but, you know, they're not going to really use it all. They're going to kind of store most of it. What would you guys do with it? And we said, well, we would use it all. Like, we would use every little bit of it, every single thing that's there. And they said, that's amazing. And we said, well, we don't have $90,000. And they literally said this to us. They said, well, you know what? We get it. We really want this to go to a church that's going to use it all. If you guys could come up with $15,000, we would let you guys have it. 
And so we literally were like, did you check our bank account? And, uh, and so we, we had the money. We were able to get that. And so we got everything. We got that $90,000 worth of stuff for fifteen. And that's just a really cool thing. But we felt that opposition, right? We felt that opposition. We felt like, man, are we, are we moving in the right direction here? Are we doing God's work? Or is this something that's in our heads? So today, as we go into Nehemiah again, I want us to be thinking about why is it that we experience opposition? And here's, here's the phrase that pays today. If you're, gonna, if you're a, a blank filler inner on your news and events, a blank filler inner, um, the first one is this. Um, not, not the first one. It's like the like towards the middle of the page. We don't face opposition because we're doing something wrong. We face it because we're doing something right. Now, to the parents in the room, we also know that there are times when we face opposition because we're doing something wrong, right? We, sometimes we're just not doing something correctly and we're facing opposition. Like, let's be honest. But when we're thinking about this track that we're on with Change Your World, with this idea that we've been working through about what God has uniquely placed in you, to, that he has called you to, a burden, a vision, a calling, a mission, what, whatever word you want to use to kind of describe that thing, when you're moving in that direction and you're feeling some friction, some drag, you're getting some, some pushback on that, it's not because you're doing something wrong, it's because you're doing something right. And the challenge for us is to be convinced that we're doing something right and not be convinced and persuaded that we're doing something wrong. So today, as we look at it, there is actually, you may have, um, you may have looked ahead um, in chapter two. Last week, I kind of ended um, right before the end of chapter 2. And I want to just read a verse or two from that because that's the first place where we start to see some opposition to what Nehemiah was doing. You know, he had set out to go to Jerusalem to rebuild the walls. He had asked the king to pay his way. The king agreed. He got there and he started the work. And if you look um, in verse 19 of chapter 2, it says this, this is kind of the, the villains of the story. But when Sanballat the Hornite and Tobiah the Ammonite official and Geshem the Arab heard about what Nehemiah was doing, they mocked him and they ridiculed them and said, what is this you are doing, they asked. Are you rebelling against the king?" So here's the first shot across the bow, if you will, that they give Nehemiah and his team. And this is where the opposition begins to really hammer them. Now, we're going to skip over chapter 3. <clears throat> and here's the reason why. If you're a construction guy, if you're a project manager, if you like to build stuff, engineer, all that jazz, read chapter 3. We'll read through it this week. But it's all about how Nehemiah, like, put the project together. Who built what? What did they build? Where did they build it? Why did they build it? What were these guys? Why were they talented and they could do this and that? And it's really cool. But the piece that I want to focus on is actually starting in chapter 4. And before I read it, we're going to be um, skip through three different parts of this um, chapter to help us understand opposition, like where it comes from, but more importantly, why we feel it. Is that cool? So let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for today, and thank you for the work that you're doing in our lives. Lord, you are working. Lord, if there is one thing that we know, it's that you are working in us. And Lord, I pray that as we sense, Lord God, putting some words to what you have for us, 
Lord, that we would not see it as a burden, that we would not see it as, as work that we don't want to do, but we would see it as our faith coming alive. And God, that you are working inside us. And Lord, you are, are giving us words for what you're doing inside us. So God, we pray that you would do that. Open our minds, open our hearts, all the Thanksgiving stuff, all the Christmas stuff, all the stuff that we have that are just weighing us down. We lay those at your feet right now, and we just pray, God, that we would be free to hear your voice. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So chapter 4, verse 1. Here we go. You guys ready? That was like two of us. Are you guys ready? When Sanballat, there he is again, heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and was greatly incensed. This guy's tick. He ridiculed the Jews in the presence of his associates and the army of Samaria. He said this, what are those feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble, burned as they are? And then, so he's kind of mocking them. Tobiah the Ammonite, who was at his side, said this, Hey, what they are building, even a fox climbing up on it would break down their walls of stone. So he kind of sarcastically throws this idea that, you know what, you can't build walls. Even a fox could knock it down. Skip down to verse 6. I'm sorry, verse 7. But when Sanballat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the people of Ashdod heard that the repairs to Jerusalem's walls had gone ahead and that the, the gaps were being closed, they were very angry. They became angry again. And then they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to stir up trouble against it. Verse 10, this is where we start to see a little shift in where the opposition comes from. Meanwhile, the people in Judah said, the strength of the laborers is giving out, and there is so much rubble that we cannot rebuild the wall. We cannot rebuild the wall. Also, our enemies said this. They said, before they know it or see us, we will be right there among them, and we will kill them and put an end to the work. And then, verse 12, then the Jews who lived near them came and told us ten times over, wherever you turn, they will attack us. So let's think about how we look at this opposition. Where is it coming from if you're a blank filler inner? Number one, opposition comes from the outside. It comes from the outside. It comes from the outside as ridicule, as criticism, as, as um, sarcasm. You know, it, you see that um, in, in verse 1, <clears throat> that they were mad, that they were greatly incensed, they were angry, but they ridiculed the Jews. They ridiculed the Jews. And, and they, 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 they said things about their work that was criticism of what they were doing. Here they are following God to do what God has put in their heart to do, to rebuild the city of God, and they're being ridiculed and being told that they're not going to be able to do it. And then the sarcasm comes. Even a fox climbing on, on it would knock it down. And so this is just somebody that comes, I mean, have you ever had somebody that just comes at you in a way that is just so demeaning and says something to you that just, man, just gets after what you're trying to do? And this kind of attacks 
the quality of work that Nehemiah and his team is doing. Saying, you know what? You can't even build a wall that a fox could walk on, man. And so that's where it comes from. It's this outside piece. And you look at um, the fact in verse 8 that they all plotted together and they were stirring up trouble. Has anybody had anybody plot against you? Well, the best, right? It's so great. You know, do you know for a fact that someone's plotting against you? Oh, my goodness. Or someone that is stirring up trouble for you at work or in your family at Thanksgiving dinner? Like, oh, my goodness. These are not okay things, right? So this is the opposition that Nehemiah and his team is, is feeling. The opposition is coming from the outside. There's people plotting. There's people stirring up trouble. This is not good. But then we see that the opposition kind of turns a corner. And, and this is, I think, even a little bit more serious because we see that not only does it come from the outside, but opposition comes from the inside. And you see that, meanwhile, in verse 10, that they say this, that the strength of the laborers is giving out, and there is so much rubble that we cannot rebuild the wall. This is the attitude of your team. How's that feel? I'm tired, and we can't do this. We're talking about the inside, the opposition that comes from the inside, is that I am tired. We are tired. We're tired of doing this work. And there's so much of it that we cannot do it. How many of us have ever had that happen? Or have, man, any time that you move, this is something that is um, an attitude. Leave it up there for a second, Ben. This attitude of we cannot that, that this is a, almost like a surrendering of the will that says, you know what, we cannot. It's a very definitive statement that we cannot rebuild the wall. And, and so they have this attitude inside them. But they continue to say that this, they said, you know what, um, also our enemies said that they're, they're going to come and they're going to kill us. So there's a, a fear that's welling up inside. I'm tired. I don't, my morale is low. I don't think we can do this work. And by the way, we've got people right there. I can see them. And they say that they're going to kill us. That they will kill us. And so this is the opposition that they feel coming from the inside. But it doesn't stop there. Not only that, in verse 12, it says, oh, you know what? Um, The Jews who lived near them came and told us ten times over. I love how it includes that in scripture. Told us 10 times over, wherever you turn, they will attack us. Okay, 10 times over. This is uh, included as an emphasis for a reason. Because this is the attitude was so deep inside them that they could not do this. You got to think about it. So here's how I just visualized it on the next slide. Like this is, they will attack us 10 times, right? And I, I kind of visualize it getting louder. So like, I don't know if it's a Star Wars thing where it's moving backward or coming at me. I don't know, but it feels like this is, I was just trying to, this is 10 times. They will attack us, Nehemiah. They will attack us. They will attack us. Th- this, is, this is the emphasis that they are putting on this. They told us 10 times over that they're going to attack us. So if you, if you read through, and there's a couple of spots that I skipped over if you were paying attention, you'll note that Nehemiah does two things in response to the opposition 
um, at least two things. Um, we'll talk more about what he does in, the, to, um, in response to the opposition next week. But two things that he does, if you read those skipped over passages, number one, he prays. And number two, he just keeps his head down and just keeps working. He doesn't really respond a whole lot or at all. And, and, and so I think that that's interesting. He prays and he just keeps working. He prays and he keeps working. If we were to play this out, all the fears that are inside, you know, they're going to attack us, they're going to kill us. Did anybody ever attack them? No. Did anybody ever kill them? No. But this is so real, right? And I think that the easy message, and we could wrap right now, and some of you would love it if we did, is just to say, hey, if you're feeling opposition today, if you're feeling like, man, I've got this thing that I'm supposed to do for God, and I'm getting some opposition, you know, what you need to do is just pray and keep working. Just pray and keep working. Just pray and keep working. Let's go. And there's truth in that. Absolutely truth in that. But I, I was like, God, what else is going on here? What else is going on in this story that I think, and, and here's where it came down for me. What is the difference, what was the difference between all these people that are there working on this wall who are freaking out? Ten times over, they're going to attack us. I'm tired. There's too much rubble. I am tired. Not only that, but I'm fearful of what's going to happen to my life and my family. And, and what's the difference between them and Nehemiah? Because Nehemiah never says those things. Nehemiah prays and he keeps working. I think, and this is where I want to spend the next few minutes that we have together, is focusing on this idea. I think the difference is that God had wired Nehemiah with core values that were unique to him, and he therefore was God's man for that moment. So what do I mean by that? A core value is something that, man, when you step over a line, I cannot notice. I cannot not notice. I cannot let you say that in my presence. You can say a lot of things around me, but you cannot say that. What do we know about Nehemiah? Some of his core values. Listen, do not mess with my people. Do not mess with the story of my people and my history of my people. Do not mess with the city of God, my people's city. That's a core value. He said, do not mess. What did he say in chapter 2? You guys heard me read it. He said, listen, we're going to build the wall. You have no right to Jerusalem. He has a core value. He feels called and knows that he is not going to let anybody step on his people. Fair? Number two, he had a core value of dependence on God. He prayed. What is he, he, we know if you look through it, his, his core value of prayer is evident. There's not any making this up. Look, I, I hear that the walls are, are torn down at Jerusalem. What do I do? I pray. I mourn. I fast. What happens when I know I'm going to go before the king? I pray. I pray for favor. What happens when the king says, hey, what do you want? Guess what? I, I pray. What do I do when I get ridiculed? I pray. What happens when criticism comes? I pray. Nehemiah had a core value of the power of prayer. He said, I am not going to let you take me out. I have a core value of prayer. But he had another core value. 
He believed in his people. He had a core value of prayer. But he said, you know what? You're not going to question my work ethic. You're not going to question the quality of my work. You know how I know that he did that? It's because he kept on working. He didn't let them stop him. We're going to see this in the next few weeks. He didn't come down off that wall to have a conversation. He said, you know what? Guys, keep working on the wall. Why? Because he had a core value, uh, had a strong work ethic, that I am going to work hard and I am going to get the job done. And no one is going to stop me. You can tell me to do a lot of things, but you can't tell me to stop working. You can say a lot of things about my wall, but one thing you can't say is that a fox can knock it down. Because if you watch what I build and you tell me if a fox can knock this down. He has a core value, a set of core values that make him different and unique amidst all these people that are on this project. God had wired him with unique core values that no one else at that moment had. And let me tell you this, so do you. You have unique, hardwired core values in you that when somebody says something that crosses a line and steps on your core value, that what you do is you say, you know what, you can say a lot around me, but you cannot say that. Watch what I'm about to do. And this is the part that we need to, to pay attention to. This is the part that we need to say, you know what, what is God doing in my life? Because here's the thing, two, two things. Number one, we, our world, um, except for Marisa Vales, gets upset about a lot of things, right? <clears throat> if you know Marisa, she doesn't get upset about anything. But our world gets upset about a lot of crazy stuff. And I think that sometimes we borrow the anger and the upsetness of someone else, and we are upset, and then we end up snowballing into something, and we're not even sure what we're mad about or why we're mad in the first place, but we're just upset about something that happened. And, and we don't really know. And we, don't, and, and we borrow what we think are core values, and we borrow them. We borrow them from our parents. Your core values, that one of the big sources of that is, is from your parents. And so what, what we've done is we've failed to actually articulate what our unique core values are because we've been borrowing them and we've not been paying attention to what God is doing in our heart. I'm including me in that. And so what my challenge to you is, is this week to spend some time and ask yourself this question, what are my core values? Not the core values of my mom, not the core values of my dad, not the core values of my culture or what Facebook says, but what are my core values that when you say that, you can say a lot of things, but you can't say that. I think that something needs to be done about this. Somebody's got to do something about it. It might as well be me. When you feel those things, pay attention because that's God. That's, that's very well. You surrender that, those thoughts. You surrender that, that, that desire, that, that angst, that, that rising up spirit that you feel. And you say, God, is this you? And, man, I believe that God is going to. There's things, like when you hear an argument, maybe you heard one over the week, this past week. I don't know. But when you hear two people having a conversation and it's heated or that they have two different opinions, very well what they could be doing, you, you might say your core values are showing. Because there's something inside them that's, that they are not okay with, that they say, you know what? And, and let me say this, your core values are different from your calling, your, your vision, your, your burden, the thing that, you, that we've been trying to put words to about how God wants you to change the world. It's different. 
building the walls was the, was the thing that he did, that Nehemiah did to change the world, but his core values were different than that, right? His core values, what? Dependence on God, prayer, work ethic, don't mess with my people, right? These are the core values, but it was all centered around his project. Here's the other thing I want you to know. You got to know this. The enemy has core values too. There is an enemy that is fighting for your soul, and he has core values too. Did you not read several times that Sanballat and Tobiah were very angry, greatly incensed? Do you think that there was anger there? It's because they had a different set of core values. And their core values were set up against the work of God. And here's, if you, if you don't hear anything today, here's what I want you to hear. And this is actually the first time in all three services that I've said it this way. The enemy's goal, just like with Nehemiah, the enemy's goal is to get you to think that the thing that you're called to is not the work of God. If the enemy can convince you that what you feel God calling you to is not God, he's got you. Because now, you're going to get down off the wall, and be like, you know what, you're right. You're right. You got your whole stinking army out here. I get it. It's probably not a good move for us to do this. You know what, you're right. I'm actually pretty tired. You know what, you're right. There's a lot of rubble here, and it's probably a project that will never get done. If the enemy can convince you that the thing that God's called you to is not God, he's got you. And what did, what did Tobiah and Sanballat try to do every single time? Are you really going to do this? Are you really? Are you really? What, what, what did the serpent say to Eve? Did God really say if the enemy can convince you that what you sense in your heart is not God, he's got you. And what our work to do is, is to not fail in the area of articulating our core values. Because we don't know. We, we've got the enemy coming at us, and it, we're, we're already confused. We're not sure what my core values are because I'm just upset about life. I'm upset about this and that and all these other things. that I'm not exactly sure what my core values are, and that's even better because you're confused. But I believe that as we articulate, as we put some words to that, I think we're going to find some really cool things. I think if you work through the soul workouts um, with me, I've been learning a lot. Can I, can I share a little bit? I was going to share anyway, but um, seeing as how you guys are silent, take silence as agreement, right? So this church, example number one. This church, core values. Um, don't write this down. A thousand percent dependency on God. There's no such thing as a thousand percent. A hundred and one. There's no hundred. Hundred percent. Hundred percent dependency on God. We are depending on God for everything. We depend on God for a space. Back when we were like getting told we need seventy-two thousand dollars for a school, we're depending on God for the equipment to actually open this place up. We're depending on God for people to show up day one. We're praying for God, to, depending on God that, that there would be volunteers to help us make this thing happen. We're depending on God for all of that. Fair? And we are challenging you to put 100% of your dependency on God. Put a dollar in the Thanksgiving offering. Put, uh, we're challenging you. If you don't like to be challenged in the area of depending on God for everything in your life, it's going to be uncomfortable here for a while, okay? 
until you start to say, okay, well, maybe there's a thing to that. We call that Jesus first. Second core value of the church. Life change, church word transformation, right? Church word transformation. Um, we are all about life change. We believe that you can change and that you can change your world. We believe that there is life change is what it's all about. God is in the business of changing lives, and that's what we desire to see. So we challenge you every single week that you can change. There is an adjustment. There is an alignment. There is something about what's going on in your heart that you have some work to do, that you can do. And we're going to root you on. We're not going to say, go do it and figure it out on your own. We're going to root you on. We're going to try to equip you and resource you to be able to make that life change happen. We call that home first, where you start here first. Start at the home. You start to change. Your family starts to change. You start to see your church change and the community change. Third core value. Third core value. We believe and we have a value that we will make a difference in our community, in our world. We believe that we can make a difference. We have people knock on the door five years ago, six years ago, and say, hey, you know what? We don't have any food. Um, is there any way you can help us out? We might get them a gift card or something like that and help them out if we could. Today, they knock on the door. We don't have any food. Is there any way you can help us? Yes, actually, we have a food pantry. We can get you food right now. Why? Because we have a core value that there is something that we need to do to help our community. Why do we organize Love Moni and have all this insanity that happens with Dave and Kelly and all them that organize that? Why? Because we believe that we will make a difference in our community. This is a core value. Everything we do, we filter through those core values. Is that fair? Is it making sense? Okay, now let me use me as the second example. And what I did is I realized in this series, I've started to tell a lot of stories about me. And I was like, oh, man. And now they're coming together. And I didn't really plan on that, but here we go. So you guys remember that when we had the, the ballet, we had the, the open um, area out here, and all, the, all of y'all were sitting around. And we love that setup, by the way. <coughs> And I shared that day about, man, my goal when I was a kid is I wanted to be a Disney animator. I wanted to be a comic book artist, right? Remember that? And then I was like, maybe an architect. And then none of that happened. But there was one core value that's always been true of me, and that's creativity. Creative. I, I've always wanted to, like, create. I wanted to either draw or photograph or design or even write. I wanted to create. So creativity is a core value, number one. Number two. Communication is a core value of mine. <clears throat> I, I majored in communication design. I've always been trying, well, I think part of my story is that when God set me free, when I got saved between seventh and eighth grade, that I came out of my shell. I couldn't talk in front of people. I couldn't talk like this. The day I got saved, God started to break me out of the shell. Could I speak like this in front of you guys? No. But over time, I was able to share in front of people. And so communication is part of my, like, what I was freed to do, and it's, it's kind of cool. Like, that's awesome. And so you start to say, okay, that's part of my core values. Third thing, people matter. Creativity, communication, and people matter. I remember when I was in business, I, I had an opportunity. Uh, I had to make a choice. I was designing all day long, eight to ten hours a day. I was behind a computer all day long, and I didn't talk to a whole lot of people. But I started to talk to a few people, and as I talked to them, they started to say, hey, can you design this? And then somebody, their friend would be like, hey, can you design this? And then as they were adding things to my project list, I went to my boss and I said, look, I can't design all this stuff. Either I need to keep talking to people 
and to help kind of like bring that work in or I needed to design and I think I need to make a choice. You said, you do. And I said, all right, and guess what I chose? I chose the people. Why? I couldn't word it then. I didn't, it makes sense now. I don't know why I didn't understand then, but because people matter to me, that then I went and I became an account manager and I began to work with people to bring that work in. It all starts to line up. Last example. You guys know five and a half years ago, quit my job, started to work here, lead this place, make this thing happen on a full-time basis. When I did that, I, I dragged it out, you know, praying about it for six months and all that. You know, the things you do, you obsess over these decisions. And it was important that I did that. But I wish I would have known what I know now and then because I filter that decision now. So, number one, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be here, and, and is it a place, like, if, if I do this, can I be creative? Can I walk out on you in the middle of the service and play a video? Yeah. Can I, can I, like, bring a dead animal in here and, like, use it as an example? Yes. You know, can I bring a horse in here? Yeah. Can I, can I yeah, like, can I, like, have a lift here and, like, go up over? Can I do the, can I be creative? Yeah. Okay, cool. All right, um. Can I communicate here? Second core value. Can I communicate? Yeah, every week. How about that? Huh? I'm like, all right. So that's a, check that box. How long am I going to communicate here? I don't know. Le a couple more minutes. That's it. Today. But if for as long as I'm here, I'm going to be able to communicate. That's awesome. And, and then third thing, third core value, are there going to be people? Hopefully. <laughs> Hopefully, right? And so, and so it starts to make sense. Like, I, I can be creative. I can communicate. And there's people involved. This is a no-brainer, man. Like, my core values came out in that decision. Do you see how the past experiences, my core values started to help me make a decision? I didn't even know that they were helping me. But they were helping me make that decision. God can do the same thing in your life and is doing the same thing in your life. My challenge to you is to do the work to pay attention. Not what your mom and dad gave you as your core values, but what are your core values? And it's so cool to like be talking to Sarah about this and, and like some of the lights that are going on with her and about and I'm hoping that she'll be able to share that in the next few weeks about the ways that she, as she grew up, that she sees like how God was like, had put this in her when, since she was young. And so my encouragement to you, and, and the band can come up, um, my encouragement to you is to, is to pay attention to what those core values are. Is that fair? Because as we do, we'll start to see God, his hand directing us simply by the way that he has hardwired you. Because you might be, you might find yourself someday on a wall being told by a bunch of people that no one's going to, we should not do this. It's too hard. There's too much work. They're going to kill us. But maybe you're going to be the one person that says, you know what? No, we're not stopping the work. We're going to pray. We're going to keep moving. And we're going to keep building. So why don't we stand? Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray for those of us today that are in the process of working through this. Lord, you have uniquely wired each one of us and Lord, I pray that you would help us today to put some words to that. Lord, you have power and freedom, and you have a story that you have inside of us. It doesn't matter how old we are or how young we are. 
you are not through with us yet, Lord God. And so, Lord, I pray for those of us today that are confused with our, our core values. We don't know. Or maybe those of us that have simply just borrowed our core values from friends or, or from a mom or a dad. And we don't really understand why we're so, like, that way about this particular thing. And maybe, God, it's you calling us to investigate that and say, God, is this you? What is it that really fires me up? And when somebody says something to me, they can't say that. They can say a lot of things, but not that. Lord, as we sing these songs, beautiful, this first song as we sing about how you put our pieces back together. You do one better than that, God. Not only do you put us back together, you put our story back together, but Lord, you instill in us and wire us with these values that are designed to bring our purpose and our, our unique plan that you have for us into the light, to see it, to live in it. Not what the world says is important, not what the world says we should value, not what the world says is true about us, but Lord, what's true on the inside. What are you speaking to us? And Lord, this takes work. And so Lord, use these next few minutes as the beginning of that. In Jesus' name we pray. We watched a movie last night. It doesn't really matter what it was, but you ever watch a movie and it, like, it doesn't resolve well? It like kind of a little open-ended, and that's what it was, and we're all kind of like, whoa. And I want to apologize a little bit, because I feel like sometimes my messages, they don't really resolve, you know? Um, and I think it's, this is the reason why, because there, there's only so much that we can do together and that I can do from here. And I wish somebody a long time ago would have placed the responsibility, put out your hands, man, and then said, the rest is up to you. Because I can't live out your faith. I can't figure it out. I can't determine what your core values are. I can't, I can't do all of that work for you. So it's, it's not resolving each week because it's a process. And so many times we, we feel like we need to button it up and walk out and feel like this is, oh, we got it figured out. Man, this side of glory, we are not going to have it figured out. But we're going to be able to process through it. And we're going to be able to trust God through it. And we're going to be able to see God move in each one of our hearts through it, right? And we're going to see God well up inside us. And we're going to see and understand things about us that we never thought we'd know because it's a process. And so the resolution today is, your turn. <laughs> and, and, and really to, to know that God is with you as you go. That, man, you have a God that is on your side. So second place as you go, Lord, may you do the work and may you know that God is with you. That you can be brave as you dive into what God is doing in your life. That you can make your faith your own. You don't have to borrow it. You can say, God, my, my, my faith in you is alive. My life in you is alive. You're moving inside me, God. So, Lord, as we each go our separate ways, Lord, may we take this message and what you've spoken to our hearts uniquely. 
and, and, and pursue that this week. And Lord, may we be a light in dark places. May we be a kind word, even a prayer, that we might pray with someone this week. Maybe for a healing, maybe for encouragement, maybe for salvation. Lord, may, may we be that light in a dark place this week, God. And we love you. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Love you guys. We'll be around. Band will play a little bit to pray if you guys want. Um, you guys are welcome to stay as long as you, as you care to. Love you guys. See you soon.